Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. On this episode of the Indie Opera Podcast, We are joined by David Hertzberg, composer and librettist for The Wake World, and director R.B. Schlaughter, which will be presented at the Barnes Foundation as part of Opera Philadelphia's Festival 017. Du Yun was unable to make it to the recording session. We hope to have her on soon. Welcome to the Indie Opera Podcast. This is Peter. This is Brooke. I'm R.B. I'm David. All right, we're joined by R.B. Schlatter, uh, um, director extraordinaire. I just made up that extraordinaire. <laughs> like that. Um, I've never heard it before. <laughs> um, who is directing The Wake World, which is an opera by David Hertzberg, who is in the studio. David's sitting right here, who wrote the book and the music for The Wake World, which is being, part, uh, being performed as part of the Festival O. Oh, 17. That oh, it is. That's right. Oh, 17 in Philadelphia, which is actually a really amazing thing that starts uh, in two weeks in September 18th. Oh, not quite. Please. please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's like the second weekend. It does start in two weeks. It does, it does start, start in two weeks. weeks. Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, but we're the last yeah. thing. Right. Okay. We're the last event. And it's wonderful because, you know, we just finished having a lovely festival here in New York. And now Philly is also having a festival. I think every city should really work on creating these festivals. It's Amen. wonderful. Amen. It's more fun. Yes. And I think that, uh, that in Philadelphia, this is going to be, this is the first year. And it's going to be a huge success. I can already tell. And actually, you're basically sold out, right? Yeah, we are. All yes. but one show. All but one show. I but that saw. was like two days ago, so maybe yeah, it's sold out. No, I, I look today. You're awfully close okay, to being okay. sold out, but I won a ticket, so maybe you are sold out. <laughs> um, so uh, let's talk about uh, the wake world. Now, I have to apologize because I was saying wake the world on some of our earlier things because... I'm dyslexic. Are you? <laughs> yes, I am dyslexic. It's really a problem. It's really a problem if you're a pianist and you're sight reading and you play something upside down and backwards, which I, did I have not, done. I, I have known you for a long time, and I did not know that you were dyslexic. Yes. So that it, explains well, not, a not lot. Not highly dyslexic. Well, well then you really might understand this opera. <laughs> yeah, it probably makes more sense upside down yeah. and backwards. Like, uh, I'll, you know, it'll be dum, bum, 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 but I'll play beam, bum, bum, but I mean, it'll fit harmonically, but it'll be upside mm-hmm. down. But that sounds backwards. beautiful. That just sounds improvisatory. Yes, mm. exactly. This anyway, is for you. So it's called The Wake World. The Wake World. Um, it's by uh, Alistair Crowley. Um, yes. And I took the liberty of reading The Wake World. 
mm-hmm. and am thoroughly perplexed because it seems to be good. Well, you know how you know. Step one. Step one. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's it's yeah. like, please don't talk to me about your dreams. I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So that's my, the first thing I'm like, uh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. But uh, actually what it started to run, remind me of was like the magic flute mm-hmm. and uh, something sort of more symbolic than real. What about the wake world resonated with you or made you want to do a piece? Well, I... <laughs> I loved it. I, I don't know. I just thought. Well, I don't know. I I had read the Wake World sort of like years uh, years ago before they asked me to write this piece, um, and uh, I kind of just shelved it. But it did something about it. Did stick with me. It has this sort of bizarrely intoxicating and very, to me, sexy kind of vividness and just like obsessive uh, kind of uh, quality. I don't know. It's just, I I found it like a really beautiful expression of, uh, um, of just fantasy, of chasing your fantasy, your longing uh, yeah, and I don't know that that's how uh, Alistair Crowley meant it to be <laughs> uh, read. In fact, I, I know it's not uh, at least the extent um, the extent of it. But um, I sort of read it in a vacuum. A friend of mine sent it to me, who's sort of interested tangentially in like theology and mysticism and stuff. Um, and uh, I was going through like a, a fairy tale, like a kind of like a morphology of fairy tale. Um, uh, period. Um, this is actually before when I was kind of developing the idea for our previous collaboration, Rose Elf. Um, uh, and he said it to me just because it has this very sort of uh, strange, uh, uh, deliciously nonlinear fairy tale kind of veneer. And um, I didn't want to do like at the time. I just thought it was really interesting and so it was completely unlike anything I'd ever read. Um, but. Yeah, but it's it's a first person narrative, mm-hmm. and tell us about the sort of the main character. Who is is it? Do you keep what's her name? Lola. Lola. Yeah, it is Lola. I was I was going. Gosh, what was the name? Because they only mention it once at the very beginning, right? Yeah, but that's uh, actually how it goes. Lola. <laughs> Lola. Almost, yeah. But this Lola character is just very describing close. the this structure of this universe, this yes. dream universe of yeah, ten yeah, houses. Exactly. And uh, it really sounded like the magic flute to me because it had the same sort of interesting ritualistic mm-hmm. events so like, occurring with it. Does Bluebe- that Bluebeard's castle? Yeah, Bluebeard's castle too. Is the other thought because everything's sort of dark. You know, the beginning of Bluebeard, she says, "Oh, the walls are dark," and and what it sounds like that mm-hmm. each of the houses are covered in darkness, and there's sort of this dark side and then there's this incredible brightness in what she describes yeah actually i think through the whole thing it's a constant series of contrasts she'll they label evil things as good and good things as evil and dark things totally. as light and it's com- mm-hmm. it's a complete almost um autistic view <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like you can't <laughs> like you can't tell foreground from background uh-huh. yeah that sort of autistic view of the world where everything is all equal uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's a deeply personal thing. 
she's yeah. having a very personal experience of the world. And I don't think, you know, maybe the world is, isn't real. Maybe it doesn't exist, but it, it's real for her. And what is the, so what, all right, so you have this piece. It's deeply yeah. symbolic. And uh -huh. the thing about these texts is it's an empty bag that you can fill with almost anything. You uh -huh. know, there's, you could read it almost any, as a joyous thing, yeah. as a tragic thing, as a, you can put whatever you want into it. So how uh -huh. did you take this amazingly mystical text and translate it to a libretto? Because no one speaks except for her and the prince, right? Yeah. Well, I basically had to make the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not really like a, you know, an adaptation per se. I just kind of took the seed of uh, inspiration. I mean, I love I like what you were saying and what RV was saying about this kind of very sort of um, internal subjective experience. I mean, that's like a lot of what I got from this story. I mean, I just love the vivid strokes in which the thing was painted. You know, it seemed so beautiful to me. And um, the just the uh, extreme like, well, just the breadth of the journey to me was gorgeous and, like, also very operatic. Like, I feel like music is so is so ripe for musical expression. But, like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I was really attracted to that kind of just that, that intense subjectivity of just outpouring of, like, emotion. And um, that's that's what I got from it when I read the story originally. Um, uh, and I, well, I sort of, like, later reading more... Actually, I didn't even know who had written the story um, when I read it because it was sent to me in this very... Uh, uh, amazingly intriguing um, uh, journal that was like published in the early 20th century and circulated among these magical societies called the Equinox, um, and everything was is anonymous in the journal. And um, it has like it has some verse and some prose and some uh, really uh, insanely uh, bizarre uh, and alluring uh, descriptions of like rituals, uh, often very sexualized magical rituals, and. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so um, so that's like what I what I got from it, and like it just and something about the way it was written really stuck with me. But the reason that um, it made it really it made it impressed itself in my memory, and um, the reason I f came back to it was because of the kind of prompt of this project, which was um, well, this thing is is taking place at the Barnes Foundation, right, in right. Philly, sort yeah. of like the Isabella Store Gardner in um, Boston. Exactly, Boston. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like this completely eccentric totally wacky, bizarre um, personal collection. I mean, it happens to have all these like amazing masterpieces of a lot of impressionist and post-impressionist modern work, but it also it has, it does have this incredible breadth of, of, uh, of work in it. And like the coolest thing about it is the gallery, the small galleries that sort of comprise the um, uh, collection are like um, they're like these weird little capillaries you walk through, sort of, and um, the uh, the um, like the, the floor the, the, there are floor to ceiling displays on the walls, and they're arranged in this kind of I mean like a, a way that just feels completely psychotic to me. <laughs> it's like I mean it's 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 it's, it's totally enveloping and, and gorgeous, but it's insane. Like um, you know you've got this super sexy like Rousseau that like. RB uh, loves so much, love and so do I. And, um, and next to this, like you know, really, uh, like really, like violent crucifixion, and then like maybe like a pieta, and then like a bowl of rotting fruit, like that one thing we always come back to. And then, um, and then there's like 
you know, this gorgeous, like, Matisse triptych, like, that that famous La Danse, you know, uh, uh, sort of, like, depiction of some kind of, like, right, whatever, sacre du printemps ritual. And then, like, um, there's, you know, it's, it all just is, like, it's all, like, commingled in this totally, like, violent, orgiastic way, I think. And it's got this, the craziest thing, I think, is there's, like, this metal work that's, like, all over the place. And it's, it look, they look like these wacky, like, I mean, they kind of look like astrological symbols to me. I don't know. Totally. The hieroglyphs or something. Totally. So do you, does the piece move through different rooms or is it in one central location? How's, how do you start? Is that part this? of a, is that a secret? No, it's not. Totally not. <laughs> I mean, with, the commission was that the, that the idea was that there would be performers in all the galleries and then eventually they would lead everybody out into the courtyard to, to perform something with more of a narrative or something. But, you know, we've sort of moved away from that for a lot of kind of practical reasons. Um, the museum has sort of asked us to move away from it, but for a lot of practical reasons. Um, so now it's, but, you know, the, don't but, touch that. But yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, the desire was always like, how do you get, how do you uh, activate these, this collection with music? And how do you um, totally change somebody's uh, experience of, of these, uh, of this architecture? So, um, you know, yes, we're no longer going to be in the collections per se, but it's very much this thing that's like uh, commingled, as yeah, David yeah, likes yeah. to say. <laughs> so um, when you were writing it, were you thinking of the barns or did you write it first and then you found out about the barns? And then... No, no, no. Yeah, they asked, they, they were like, respond to the barns. Oh, right. So yeah, there were three basic kind of tenants to the, um, to the commission. Um uh, the first was that it somehow responded to this art collection, like however obliquely, you know. Um, and I think what they kind of had in mind originally was that it would be more like, you know, oh, like this Surat, like somehow or whatever. But um, someday uh, in the but, park with George. Yeah, yeah, but but um, and, and, yeah, somehow responded cool to the collection. To yeah, yeah, I guess that could, yes, maybe something could I would happen love to with that subject. That. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like, uh, yeah, it could be like, yeah, that it responded to the, the the collection, that it exists somehow in this space. And I know that together we were super interested in it, and I am so excited to see the way that RBE kind of like activates that space because it's very, um, I don't know, just. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> but, and the, the, sorry, the third premise was yeah. that it's sort of, um, they suggested that, um, you know, if you want, you can feature our wonderful chorus, um, and, you know, in some uh, sort of prominent role which I was excited about because it is a really wonderful chorus um, they have a really wonderful chorus at Opera Philadelphia and, yeah um, they do totally. yeah they're totally awesome and um, like I was excited be well specifically they're wonderful because a lot of them sing in these like you know new music groups and sing a lot of like liturgical music around town actually Philly has this bizarrely like great choir tradition I've found uh, living there for two years I went to Curtis for diploma and then um uh yeah so 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 like there was kind of a lot of things that seem like um maybe difficult to juggle or manage or whatever make into one composite whole um but i felt like it was actually sort of pretty happy coincidence because i like i mean i had been to the barns and i and i love the club i mean it's just like so awesome and actually what i love so much about it is that it just doesn't feel like a museum it feels like this psycho like 
shrine or temple <laughs> or like place where something ex- like extraordinary oh, is about to happen to me. Um, and I think RB like shared that sentiment if I could speak for him. <laughs> do you get narrative? Like, is there a narrative, or does yeah. it stay in that sort of symbolic realm? The the. The wake world. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I think it has a fun, it has a linearity to it. Okay. Um, I I don't want it to have that kind of. It certainly, I don't think it does. Has that detached kind of quality of of symbolism. You know, it doesn't. Uh, it, it, it it's much more like about kind of like explicit gushing emotionalism than something like what our Metrolink play or something to me. Right. Uh, at least the way I see it or feel it, I don't know. So they asked me to do that. And then like we went together and we walked through this collection knowing that we were going to figure this thing out, you know, thinking about like what could it be? How could it exist in the space? And that was sort of how like I came back to the, the, the Crowley story because I was just like, okay, first of all, this is, like the journey of this girl through a magical palace. I mean, like with all, I mean, it, it, on the most, sur- the most surface, the most surface level of the story, you know, it's like this journey of this girl through a magical palace where all these rooms are hung with all this bizarre, like, you know, seemingly incongruous stuff where, and all of these like, you know, fragrances and colors and, um, and ideas and like, you know, and scenes and, um, whatever dissolve into these kind of like bizarrely specific, um, and inexplicable, but sort of emotionally really precise, um, feelings, you know, and that was really cool to me. And that felt like, like, I mean, that just felt like a real clear, like literary kind of resonant resonance or like to what Barnes was doing. So, so the, the character Lola in the, in the book, mm-hmm almost has no agency it's it's like she's being guided Mm -hmm. and she doesn't ever make any decisions it's just sort of happening to her and she's describing it there's only sort of two actions that she takes in the book there's at one point she describes seeing the outside the houses from the outside and that they're covered in advertising Uh and that she um (laughs) that's in the opera (laughs) that's in the opera yeah yeah, something like it (laughs) and that she tries the way she tries to get people to take the advertising off the houses Mm -hmm. is by shaming them yeah it's like the uh, one that doesn't quite happen it doesn't happen yeah. in the... it's much more violent in the opera <laughs> <Is> it... <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was just there wasn't enough violence in the story yeah well, well the... I don't know I'm really, I... the other action she has is where she stabs herself with blood you know, uh-huh, she, yeah. she bleeds mm-hmm. all over the place mm-hmm. yeah. but oh my god no I know is that is that did you keep that in she grabs yeah, the yeah, whip. Oh, yeah, she something. flogs herself. Yeah, she flogs herself. Flagellates herself. Is that yeah, the word? Yeah. To fl- yeah. But that's sort of the only herself. decision mm-hmm. she makes in the whole book. Mm-hmm. She, the rest, she's sort of yeah. being guided by the prince, and then it's sort of descriptive. Yeah. So how how much, how do, as a character, yeah. how much does she get to develop as a human being, or she, does she remain a mystery? No, I mean, I, I, well... Uh, there really is like virtually nothing from the. I mean, there you know the, the, the okay this basic premise, the idea of the journey through these you know these houses that remains the same. But like to me, what I was really le- what I took away from reading this um, text was sort of this yeah this just like just the, this sort of like completely unfettered orgiastic way in which it was like put together and just the kind of like intensity, you know, the vividness of this experience. So I love that. But like, um, uh, as you probably discovered reading the book, it doesn't make any sense at all. And like, it's like written in this totally discursive way where like, 
Um, and there are all these like, yeah, it's just like a sequence of things, you know, it's like, like you described, she's just like building or seeing this. It's like, it's just about building this edifice. Right. Um, and that's because, so uh, what I, le I learned after reading the book and like, you know, sort of, sort of whatever, and metabolizing it emotionally was, um, that Crowley, like, didn't really think of this story as like a story per se at all. And in fact, it's not even really original to him because like what it is is this sort of um, amalgam of like symbols, you know, uh, that are like drawn from all over the place, from Renaissance, alchemy, from tarot. Yeah, tar yeah, exactly. Tarot, you know, like whatever. Christianity, Christianity Judaism, yeah. like Hinduism, whatever. Um, you know, just everything. It's just kind of this big like melting pot. And the sort of structure of like these houses is it's a journey through the different spheres of consciousness in the Kabbalah, like from the most earthly to the most like divine, you know? And um, and all of these rooms, like he sort of, his like life's work, he was just kind of like actually um, this kind of proto joseph campbell type figure right, right. Uh, like uh, joseph proto campbell joseph someone that like rb totally uh, turned me on to after like our last project also <laughs> but um he was a sort of proto joseph campbell figure where he um yeah he sort of like amalgamated all these crazy different symbols you know he wanted he has these books that are like these big lexicons where like it's just a bunch of numbers and like he wants to show like how one equals this in kabbalah and this and blah 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 yeah, you know yeah. so that's kind of like how he thought of the wick world it was like a secret coded guide um to like you know this kind of losing yourself in uh whatever like obliteration of the godhead or you know whatever um so uh, i was so i mean like i mean i thought that idea was cool um oh, of course like you know none of that could have been kept to translate this into right. something coherent for the not yeah. for the stage it's not, it's not gonna be a stage so, but, you know. so i have a question yeah. actually. i was gonna say so you guys have collaborated before uh -huh. so but yes. you wrote the book of the music so uh -huh. how did you collaborate on this project what's your role i mean you're directing the show but what was your role in the actual Creating sort of the genesis work. of the yeah. work. Uh, well, um, I guess like they asked, they invited me to go to the barns and just sort of like go through and let them know what I thought, which was a kind of cool prompt. And so I went and um, yeah, I'd never been before and I just walked around and I was totally just like, who is this guy? What is that mind? Because, um, you know, he was a collector and when you walk through, they there are certain sort of you know, st uh, whatever storylines in there. You know, there's lots of uh, paintings of fruit. There's lots of painted paintings of naked women. There's lots of paintings of, um, you know, there's there's all this like ceramic pottery that's all the same. There's all of these, you know, like uh, door hinges, and they're all sort of the same. And I, I can get into that because I'm sort of a collector myself. And you know, I think anybody who does collect, you know, you, you know, we all you have things and you get attracted to them and you turn by on turned on by them and you want more of them and right. you know you're there's something about them that maybe you don't understand why you like it but you keep getting them because you're trying to figure out what it is about it that attracts you and then so that was my when I left I was just like who was this guy what is that mind right. and then um, and then I met up with David and we went to the collection together and he was like okay there's a story about Lola and she goes through all these houses and we sat at one end of the courtyard and he just explained to me what the story was about and I was like oh that's how we should do it here we should just install it in this way and activate the space in, in this way and then I went back to the company and said this is what I want to do um, to realize the piece but that was even before he had even written it and then he yeah, went well, away we there were a lot of things we kind of had to figure out just logistically you, you know I guess before this before before, yeah. before any really writing started over, yeah. yeah but there's you know the visual that the audience is going to see is very much you know like inspired from these these early conversations mm -hmm. um, that are sort of pre 
composition. And now I'm sort of like looking, I'm studying the composition he's written and I'm like, oh, okay, so now how do we do that in this, <laughs> in this right, place? Right, right, right. Well, so actually, like, um, this, I feel like this is sort of related to what you were just saying about the agency, the question of the character. So, like, um, yeah, so that impression of the story really stuck with me. And I felt like just going through the barns again, knowing that, you know, we were going to have to create something in this space. And we wanted to, like, I think both of us felt like, you know, that we wanted to explode this wild, like, chaotic beauty that the place had. And this, like, also just, like, the kind of like, I don't know, like obsessive collector sort of whatever weirdo mentality of it and transformed that so that people like would never experience this space the same way again. Um, but also to unleash sort of this thing, to un unleash an opera in there. Yeah, yeah, Because I think that's also like a preoccupation of ours. You know, we yeah, like, yeah. we actually like opera. Yeah. Um, we actually love opera. And we also so like opera. <laughs> the idea was, you know, how do you do an opera in here with like with a capital O, not like some kind of like. Yeah, that know, was important from the beginning. But yeah. which, to, and to yeah. us, opera is like juicy and sexy and yeah. crazy and chaotic exactly. and, and mythic and symbolic and, you know, all the, and full of feeling and emotion and, you know. Uh, desire and what all the all the good stuff that life is full of so um, yeah it was like how do you then you know do that here so you, the audience is actually not going to be seated they're yeah. they're standing and in the space yeah uh, how much consideration like how do you get <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what to do if I was a director how do you get the audience to move like move I have no idea <laughs> no we'll yes. see I mean I have a few ideas uh, <laughs> but um, it's good I don't know I think it's just about like a lot of it is just I think getting the message out there ahead of time and empowering people and saying, look, you're going to come to this collection. It's going to be open for an hour before the thing starts. Come, walk through the halls, look, engage, create your own experience. And then at 8 p.m. this thing's going to start. And you choose where you want to stand and how you want to experience it. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And if you do like it, you can follow what you like about it and like really create your own experience. And I think there's something about that... Uh, I don't really have the answer to this, but I think about like, you know, when you're in a theater, you're sitting in a chair and the lights go out and you look at the stage and the performers, you know, whatever, pander to you. And um, now we're in this space where it's like there, there aren't, there's none of those sort of symbols and you have to engage with it in a different way. You have to look at it in a different way. You have to view this thing in a different way. So I'm sort of thinking now about like as performers, how how are we, what, what is our relationship now? How has that changed when we're going to be watched in this way? And, you know, what is that, what happens to the relationship? So I'm sort of more interested in that than in kind of theatrically representing a lot of what's in David's piece. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a weird, so, perverse so then could thing. This, could this be remounted in a more traditional venue? You yeah, you could totally do it in a theater with like a bunch of scenic effects and all that stuff but like my work as a director is like totally not interested in that i'm all, right. i'm about stripping stripping away a lot of these like perceptions about what you need for this exchange between you know an audience and a performer and how do you just strip away everything and just focus on a performer and what what they specifically can do that someone else can't do which i'm always trying to tease out of people is like yeah but what can you do what can you do in this moment that someone else couldn't kind of thing right. so what how are you dealing with the uh Ensemble, the orchestral ensemble, how does that, are they in one location or do, do they move? Or yeah, unfortunately, they're in one location. Okay. And are, is it mic'd? Is that? No, 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 it's all acoustic. 
Um, well, no, I, a... I went in and the original idea was that it was all supposed to, everything was supposed to move along this like gigantic catwalk. Mm. So it, it had a physicality that mirrors the story, which is about this sort of journey, this fate, fatalistic journey. As you say, like she's not, she sort of seems to be on a kind of conveyor belt towards the end. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to physicalize that, but then the maestro was like, no, I don't want to move. So um, now we're like, uh, we're not moving and we're going to figure out instead, you know. So now again, I'm more focused on what's what's this thing about the audience and the performers? What's that relationship about? Yeah. I was going to blame the union, but I guess. No, <laughs> I've had to do that. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. Right. I like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to I pick, sort of pick up on that because I love like how, uh, I love how we jive on this <laughs> because I feel like RV's um, like vision is sort of like I will I see it like sort of mirroring the shape you know like like, like what you were just talking about this conveyor belt um, I guess I, I was really I mean I liked I like the inexorability of like sort of disc I like yeah I like the feeling of discovery in the story you know and yeah and just the way that it's portrayed um uh, but like in kind of turning this into something that could have like a, a shape because the opera doesn't have any of those kind of crazy, you know, whatever, like out there, uh, I mean, references that don't you know, like internally make any sense. I mean, I think it has, I hope it has some kind of internal, like a coherence. The idea is that like, I've sort I, I tried to turn that into a kind of swirling, um, uh, like vortex of associations that keep, that keep returning and stuff. And hopefully that's, uh, I can maybe talk about how that's manifest and like whatever the writing and stuff. But like, <laughs> um, the, uh, um, what was sort of like really important was figuring out that this, like for me, that this fairy prince, um, that she sort of uh, has this very like, um, you know, um, erotic relationship with is like, who's a woman, uh, uh, not not a pants for all, like just a woman. He's like her higher self. It's like she's chasing her, like you know, yeah, she's chasing herself, the self that she like has yet to become, sort of through this maze. So yeah. Cool. So you guys have worked together before. Uh -huh. So that first, this is your second collaboration. Yeah. Uh -huh. Your first collaboration. Did you guys pick each other, or were you assigned? No, we were assigned. You were assigned. It was fate. Yeah. Talk about the conveyor fate. belt of fate. Yeah. <laughs> so so what was that? So yeah, tell, tell well, us about that. Uh, Opera Philly does this really cool program where they um, they they have two of their composers in residence. Um, they have them choose these scenes that they've been working on, and then they they have two different directors and two different casts stage the scenes, and then they perform them back to back. So you get to see how different artists interpret your oh, work, which for really cool. you know young composers yeah. really cool. But it's also for the audience, it's super fun too because you get to go and like experience you know, new work twice, which is helpful, but also right. see like these different, yeah. it's also sort of like being on a reality TV show, like a, <laughs> like a com weird competition. Right, right. Um, <laughs> right, because you're competing with the, yeah, the exactly. cast are competing, yeah. So <laughs> they sent me the, his piece and I read it and I was just like, oh God, what is this? Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's about a, I didn't hear like this a, part before. <laughs> there's like a, there's like an elf and oh geez, what is, and so I was, so I wrote to him and I was like, do you have like a MIDI file I could listen to? And he wrote back and he was, he was so sweet in the email and he was like, you know, I don't really do that, but if you want to meet with me in New York, I'll play it for you. So I was like, oh, okay. So then I met up with him. <laughs> I met up with him and uh, we went and um, he performed the excerpt for me. And by, and he is such, he is the best performer ever. 
by the end oh, of by the end of shucks. this, I was like sweating sitting next to him. <laughs> the energy was so intense and exciting, and suddenly I was like, "Wow, this thing is has nothing to do with an elf or whatever. This thing is like this insane um, energy, whatever." It was so cool. It was so juicy. And then I went into the rehearsal, and I've never been so excited in a rehearsal situation. It was so fun to create this thing uh, with you know, and having him there. Um, yeah, it was amazing. So uh, to be asked to get to do this piece in the barns, I'm just like beyond thrilled. I think we're sort of like, yes, you know, I don't know, soulmate isn't the right, right word. I was, but... was going to say, I, I detect some like chemistry. Yeah. No, I've we're never met someone like who feels so sim like a piece of myself in another person or something. It's weird. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> Peter's tearing up yeah. over here. <laughs> no, but that's great to find like a collaborator. I mean, yeah. think of like Mozart no, and De Ponte or something. Like they totally. were great, you know. It's uh, special. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We're both, awesome. we have very similar uh, uh, natal charts also, you know. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> and our parents have the same our, names yeah. too. Yeah, prefer, prefer, <gasps> our parents are both named Karen and Bob. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. Such a good shout out. That, that is so weird. Are you also from Cooperstown? No, from LA. <laughs> okay. So do you have? Do you have? Uh, you mentioned Bluebeard earlier. Is that something that you've been wanting? Have you ever staged that? No. No, no one's ever asked me to do that. I would love to do that. Are you crazy? <laughs> uh, that's a oh. great. Oh man, that's a great. So talk about juicy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking for a director. Oh. oh. Well, ask me. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, what's your background? You're a great performer. You play the piano. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm. A, I play piano. Yeah. Th that's your background. <laughs> that's my background. Okay. I play string instruments. Okay. So uh, to, you yeah. you're a polymath of a musician. I don't know. <laughs> I certainly don't think of myself as a as a as I don't know. Okay. I play. I play. Yeah, I grew up playing uh, piano, violoncello. But how did you find wow. your way to opera? I mean, why? why I, I, how, how did I not find my way to opera? Yeah. No, it's so hot. When did you <laughs> love opera? No. I see that. No, yeah. no, but as a kid, or isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I loved opera as a kid. Really? Yeah. What was yeah. it about? I don't know. Just, I mean, it's just so amazing. It's just like the most primal, complete like expression. I don't know to me. Are really? your parents musicians, or, or no. did they introduce you to opera in some way? No. Where no. did, how did you discover it? I have a, well, I have a very like uh, optimistic <laughs> view of uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, I just I just kind of discovered it on my own. I don't know. I started writing music like around the same time I started playing piano. When I was like seven. Wow. Um, and I just was like obsessed with opera. You know, it started with Mozart. You know, I really? went that's a good to, place you know to start. whatever Belcanto, yeah, Verdi. I mean Wagner, right. of course. That's right. a that's a. That's of course. A big, that's a big one. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just love opera. It's just it's RB, the best. Did you, did you start? <laughs> so my parents took me to my first opera, I think, when I was like three. Well, he grew up in Cooperstown. I grew up in Cooperstown, yeah, yeah, like 10 minutes from Glimmerglass. So, yeah, they took me <laughs> to see like the Mikado, I think, was my first. And then the second one, they took me to see this really out there production by Martha Clark of The Magic Flute. And I loved it. I thought it was so amazing. It was set in this weird kind of like white room with a big armoire that the Queen of the Night came out of. And she was mm. sort of in this Prussian military outfit. <laughs> and uh, there was like no magic. Well, it was magical, but there wasn't any like sort of quote. There, no one was wearing like bird bird suits or whatever. And, yeah. um, and I found out I found out much later that like people hated that show. It was a hated production. But for me, this kid with no 
you know, reference point. Right. I thought it was so enchanting and magical and dreamy. He's proving and, yeah. one of my points. <laughs> Which is I always preconceived notions. Yeah, I always talk to, you know, companies like, oh, we can't do this way out there staging or we can't yeah. do this weird opera. Our audiences don't know anything about opera. I'm like, they don't know anything Ugh. about opera. That's why you can do <laughs> exactly. what you want because if you if you do something good, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. History, good, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. Just I love that. Anything Finally. But exactly, he saw a production. It doesn't matter that there's this huge history. The kids will come to it and they will love, especially 20, 21st century opera. I, yeah. I bet kids will just love it. doesn't matter what it is because it resonates with them and yeah. it's a passionate program. Yeah, bring all your kids to the way. Wait, how old were you when you how, saw that? Probably like three. Really? Well, we, I love it. See, RB doesn't think of himself as a musician, but it's like, to me, his work is the most deeply musical direction. I don't so, know. So what's your, so your training is not as a musician. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, so then I was, so then they needed, it's, so I started going to Glimmer Glass and then they needed like a uh, child supernumerary. Oh. So then it was like, when I was 10, I was in this Mozart opera and I was like a super and I would sit in on opera rehearsals and that's when I realized that there was some guy who would tell you where to stand and that <laughs> that was like a thing you could do. And then, uh, you know, I kept pursuing being a performer and I was like, then my parents put me into music lessons and I was studying voice and the piano and stuff. But, and I was in the tons of shows. I just wanted to be on stage as much as possible. But I always, whenever I was on stage, I always just was like, why is that person over there? That person should be over there and that chair should be over there. And that, so I always had this like mm. s s kind of sense for arranging people in a space, which fundamentally that's what the job of a director is. Right. And, um, yeah, but I always, and, and because of that, I always knew that I never wanted to be a musician because like, well, number one, I hated practicing, and number two, Me I just too. knew that I knew that that wasn't really the, the like, you right. know, gut level uh, instinct right. that I had. So you have to do the thing you want to do. Yeah, or that you're good at, or that comes, that right. you, you know, that you have the talent thing that for. You're I guess. Towards. No, I think yeah. it's these interesting things about like people. A lot of colleagues will have conversations about like what is talent and can right. you learn talent and I think you can definitely like. You can de you can develop a muscle and you can develop skills, but sure. there's definitely like you, it's helpful to tap into that thing that you just sort of can innately do. Right, the thing that sort of feels like magic. Yeah. A little bit. Or instinct or whatever. Yeah. Here at the Indie Opera Podcast, we're excited about what's happening today in the opera world. If you're passionate about opera and want to help us bring the emerging opera scene to new audiences, please consider becoming our patron on patreon.com. If you are already our patron, you can hear this podcast before anyone else, along with other special releases. And thanks to Belta, Building Empowered Lives Through Art, your donations to the Indie Opera Podcast may be tax deductible. To make a donation, visit our website indieopera.com and click the donate button. No donation is too small. Or, if you're able, please consider a gift of $5 a show for the full 12 episode season. That's just $60 to bring our show to your earbuds. Regardless of your ability to give today, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll share us with your friends. So I'm going to re refocus the conversation towards the actual festival. Do you know anything else about the, the Opera Philly, the, everything that's going on the with the The other o stuff that's happening? Yeah, yeah, because they sent you as representatives or, mm -hmm. or 
Do you know? Yeah, there's All right. a lot of stuff going there's on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Can you can you actually tell us a little bit about what's going on? Well, yes. there's the Magic Flute. Yeah, yeah. Which is a cool production by Barry Kosky from mm-hmm. the Komische Oper in Berlin that's been going around to lots of theaters in the U.S. And it's a real kind of cool multimedia uh, experience. So that's like the big, big show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's in the Academy. They're like a grand old opera house. Right, right. And then um, there's a, a double bill uh, war Stories, which has uh, mm-hmm. Il Combattimento um, of Marfieri, and uh, a response piece by Lembit Beecher and Hanna Muscovich. And um, that's at the Philadelphia Museum. Um, There's a world premiere, Elizabeth Cree, yeah. Yeah. which is a new piece by... By yeah, Kevin Putz and Mark Campbell. Great. That's going up at the Perlman Theater and the Kimmel Center. Um, and then, um, well, so then there's our, oh, then we, we shall, shall not, not be, be moved. moved. Yes, yeah, cool piece. Bill T. Jones is, staging. yeah, directing it oh, it's by yeah, Daniel yeah, yeah, Bernard yeah, yeah. Remain. Yeah. Yep, yeah, and then Sandra Radvanovsky is going to do a recital, yeah, right. Wow, I saw her. So I watched the YouTube video that they released about with you guys in the museum, and then the one that comes up immediately afterwards is Sandra Radvanovsky talking about her recital. Oh, that's oh cute. really? Yeah. What's she gonna do? Yeah. Tell us. I haven't. <laughs> I, I didn't. Know I actually, I was like, I was like, what is this? Oh, this isn't relevant to her, so I stopped listening. So oh. <laughs> I'm sure it's gonna be great because yeah, she's, she's fabulous. Great. Yeah. She's amazing. So now with your show, you have have you been working with a cast yet, or how much? How far into rehearsals are you now? Well. Um, we haven't we haven't started, I guess. But we did these but, two workshops. Yeah, but there were two workshops. Those were cool. So, oh yeah, we didn't talk about the choir yet. Um, it's so so it's very choir intensive, um, <clears throat> and uh, the conductor Liz Braden has been working with the choir in Philly for the past couple of weeks, and I've been uh, here in New York <laughs> working with uh, Lola. Maeve Hergland. The wonderful Maeve, right. who which we've mentioned yeah. several times on yeah. the show. You know yeah. her. I don't know her, but you know yeah, her. Yeah, no, Maeve she's is amazing. Yeah, she's an incredibly flexible singer. And yeah. she, she was in the Prince of Players that we mm-hmm. mentioned last time. Right. Oh, cool. I worked with her a few times with Hoffman and things. Yeah. And she's working on my B opera right after this. Oh, really? As a matter of fact, I ran into her in the oh, hallway Oh, this is the Slovenia here. thing. She's yes. still talking about this. Yeah, she's like, oh, I might not be able to. I can't get out of one of the rehearsals. So you guys oh, are going to have her. That. That's all right. That's, that's okay. <laughs> she can't leave. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's sorry, not sorry. Yeah, you got like, how much time do you have to rehearse before None. It none. Out? It's absurd. Yeah. It's really absurd. But it'll wow. be fine. I mean, everybody will be fine but like that's stressful and no fun yeah no i mean the it will be stressful but i think we're gonna have a lot of fun okay good so because it's a great piece so so in your mind do you have it staged in your head or uh, yeah or is it just a very very loose thing that you're gonna work it out no i like i have like there's a version that like i could walk in and just like set yeah. on them but you stand here you stand. yeah exactly but i'm always sort of like those are sort of like less interesting to me i always sort of find like you have to pick a place to start so you pick a place to start, and then you start going, and then you see where it takes you. And usually the stuff at the end I love, and I hate the stuff in the beginning. That's the stuff that I forced onto the piece. So, But the sort of, I don't know how to get around. I haven't figured out how to get around that yet, because um, you got to start somewhere. And <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Also, it's, you know, i got to just be in the room with the people and sort of figure them out a little bit. And, you know, I don't know. I like to let these things like reveal themselves. I know yeah. that sounds pretty vague, but um, I don't know. And also, like, I just try to focus in on who these people are and like, you know, what's what are their relationships and stuff. And like, I've just been really interested in thinking about Lola as just more of this like, you know, actually just like a, a fracted 
fracted part of my, um, is that even a word? A fracted part of my own ego. Yeah. Just this sort of, oh, I love that. This fantasist or this person mm. who like, you know, the way we're doing it, all the clothes, I don't think this gives anything away. Um, you know, my initial idea when I went, when he was describing it to me, I was like, oh, all the characters should be like people from the paintings. Like it's just this emanation of mm -hmm. like the galleries come to life or something or just, you know, so, so specific to the, to the collection. So we've, then we just would go and then when we'd leave, you know, after a couple of days, we'd be like, hey, what paintings are you still thinking about? And so after a while, it sort of created itself. And so there's maybe five or six paintings that are being recreated in the costumes. And um, who is Lola? She's she based did. on a Renoir the image. Renoir, yeah. This beautiful girl in a sort of field. And um, yeah, and then so I've just been so on some level, it, you could read the visual as it's about this girl who went to visit the barns and walked away and yeah. fantasized about like who is this who is this person who chose all of these things and who are the people in these paintings and fantasizes about relationships with these paintings and with this guide this very prince and you know in the way that like it's it's fun to be creative and it's sexy to be creative and it like you know, it's fun to fantasize about other people and um, it's erotic and sexy and you can get really lost and trapped and stuck and then you can really start to suffer and lose sight of what's real and who you are and because you get lost in these fantasies. And then I think the, the, the end of the piece, the climax of the piece is about being freed from that mm. and then being able to really like line up with you know, really, really just be honest with who you are or with your true self or your higher self or whatever and let go of the kind of attachments, the sufferings. And um, I don't know. That's sort of how I've been thinking about it. Yeah, that's, that's how I think that's about sort of, it. Like, it sort of makes me think of like like obsessive OCD sort of like inability to get yourself out of a loop. Yeah. The way that you're talking about it. I don't know the piece, didn't read, read the first sentence and was like, <laughs> I don't have the brain space for this right now. <laughs> um, but it sounds like it's sort of like an examination almost of being sort of trapped in your own head, which I think yeah. happens, I think a lot of people have that experience in some form or fashion. Well, and I think, you know, being, being attached to a, a fantasy or getting carried away with a fantasy about someone or something or about something you desire uh, and then it doesn't play out like maybe how you thought it would and that can be really you know you can be really tormented by that and get really lost and um i don't know you, but you can also read symbolically i think that that's why this piece is a really strong piece because it, it can be a metaphor for so many things so you sent a, a clip along we have a clip from an earlier production mm -hmm. is it from the workshop yeah, yeah so this is from the workshop so it's very rough. The wake shop. <laughs> the wake shop. <laughs> That's what I used to call them. Yeah. Does it need any setup? The performers or anything? The performers are Rebecca Myers, Veronica Chapman Smith, Joanna Nelson Gates. They are kind of like a, a three ladies type uh, emanation. I know they Joanna. come and they. I haven't seen her they, in years, uh, but... they come uh, at the beginning of the. Well, there's a. It's a very cryptic, um, but hopefully delicious prelude. And then, <laughs> and then um, uh, this sort of thing kind of explodes out of it uh, when they sort of enter the, you enter the strange universe of, of, of the wake world. And uh, L uh, Lola is, um, you know, something like wake means so many things in the, in the opera, which are hopefully very, will be very uh, palpable emotionally. And, um, uh, but, uh, 
Lola starts off and she's so, she's like asleep and these kind of uh, mysterious erotic things wake her up. Emanations. Yeah, emanations. They they summon her. So. Okay. Drop it. Down. That's rough. That's maybe gorgeous. not what he wrote. It may <laughs> so that not be was what the he impression. Wrote. That was lovely. Is that right? <laughs> well, just like Arby, let's do it. Right. There's a piano here. Now you should perform. Now you should perform. Yeah, right. We'll see. I mean, it, it sounds sound great. Like. So it it's very sort of French impressionist. <gasps> oh yeah. To my ear, I hope that's not a bad thing to say. Oh, I'm just. Well, no, because we've been talking about this, and I've been thinking about Peleos. Yeah, but I haven't said that because I didn't want to like mm-hmm. impose no, it's horrible that. To say, on... I mean, it's easy to to come up with a lot. I mean, that was that like Straussian, the three women, and the. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah it's like right. when I hear it, I hear more like Strauss or more like yeah. Wagner. Right. Um, right. So it's funny. It's funny this thing about like being able to talk about like new compositions because like I I find like. And it's funny because I'll read interviews with David and and people will be like, oh well, this sounds sort of Debussyan and blah 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 blah, and I'm like. No, like when I hear it, I just hear like David. Right. So it's, it's it's just funny. There's and I find this as a director too that often people will come and be like, oh well, this is like a you know Peter Sellers blah blah blah, and it's like, well, no, that's not really my reference. Um, but that's your reference. Like that's what you that's what you right. see when you see this work. But it has nothing to do with what the work is. I just think it's this funny thing about sort of talking about new works or criticism or whatever. It's so much about the the self. Also, like that was the reaction that Opera Philly gave when I went to them and I was like, whoa, I walked through the galleries and I was like, what a crazy mind that was. And they were like, oh, well, we didn't have that experience at all. So it's just this funny thing about like, but that's what's like so cool about art, I think. And like, I wish that was like more a part of the conversation that like art is something that you have a personal reaction to. And that personal reaction is totally valid. And it's fine if it's different from everyone else and raise your voice and like, be heard and so that's part of the reason why there are no chairs for this thing because it's like how do you empower an audience to realize that they can have their own experience and whatever experience they have is totally valid and the right experience to have like you're not missing out on something right yeah i mean the i was thinking this today you know trying to think of what where are we uh, in an opera art form right now i sort of feel like we're at that spot before there was this great flowering where there was all these different voices throwing in their 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 contributions, right. and then all of a sudden there's this one weird genius that then sort of everyone sort of ran after. Are you talking about like Verdi? Yeah, but you, you know what I mean, like Michael Haydn and like right. all these people were writing this style that was sort of like wow, they're all exploring and going these new directions, and 
and there's these expressions that are occurring that aren't who knows where where it's going to lead i feel like we're in this sort of very experimental wow let's reach back let's reach forward but then also because now since there there's no single channel like there used to be the king and he, that he was the authority <laughs> yeah. the commissioner this, yeah the single channel well now there's a multiple channels right but also like we don't have network tv anymore either right. so we're like it's we like can watch whatever the hell train. we want yeah. as opposed to like the oh, man, three channels totally. that you grew up with right like totally. <laughs> we probably grew up watching the same news channel yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so there's an advantage to that because there's a lot of participation and a fracturing of uh, democratization of what's going on it's I think in opera, there's a whole democratization going on. Sure. But then... Corporatization. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like, how does, how does the, where does opera go from after this? Is there like some weird crowning moment where it's like we all recognize... I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's less corporate than it used to be. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, it was super like institutional art. And not that it wasn't, not that good stuff wasn't happening, but that it was these mega corporations that were producing and they basically told us what opera was and now there are so, there's a proliferation of little companies that are doing anything and everything and so now we get to see whatever you know whatever people want to throw some money behind to produce but it, it's a lot more to choose from now yeah i think it's kind of interesting that we since we do not like germany where there's this government sponsored yeah. opera it's sort of Opera's not doesn't have this like government focus to it. Where in America, all these people are participating in a way that they wouldn't if we had that kind of structure, you know, uh, here here in the United States. So there's this amazing experimental laboratory going on right now. Um, anyway, sorry, that was a was that, quite a tangent. <laughs> not really. No, not really. Cool. that's right. Yeah, We're still talking about opera. We didn't like start talking about. Miss America pageant or something, which has <laughs> happened before, I feel like. <laughs> when I wish Du, du Yun was here because I really enjoy, like, her voice. And yeah. I also feel like that's it's totally its own thing. And, um, you know, so and I think that's really exciting that that's a part of the landscape right now of new opera right. composers. Yeah. We have another excerpt, right? We have a, an earlier work of yours. Oh, okay. Do you, Ooh, do you is it know? like the color Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it I that? I think I told... Yeah, I have one, one thing that sounded more less less rough, but... <laughs> I mean, that didn't sound rough to me, but yeah. I don't have any point of reference, so... Well, <laughs> all right, well, we were talking about style. So I, it's a horrible thing to ask someone, you know, what is your mm-hmm. style? You have to but, write about it all the time, I bet, so... What's your style? Do you have to write? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never come up with a good answer. So. No, no one does. Uh, <laughs> what, I mean, what's my style? Do you, do you consider yourself just whatever comes to my head? Do you consider yourself stylish? Stylish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if RB thinks I'm stylish. No, but do, you, do you feel like you fit, fit into a tradition, though? A certain line, like I'm coming from here or whatever? Or do you just feel uh, like you're pulling from you know, multiple sources? Or I don't know. It's difficult because, I mean, you know, I certainly uh, love opera. Um, and... Uh, you know, like, I don't know, that's like the music I come back to all the time, and I feel like that's what I have in my blood. But I don't know, I feel like be, it's hard to answer these th- things, I guess, right? Like, um, maybe it sounds solipsistic, but like, as an artist, like, you sort of have to, like, I guess, negotiate, like, building the world and also just, like, sort of stewing in the, like, pathological weirdness of yourself. So I feel like the more I do that, the more, uh, uh, like, I find that really creatively fecund, sort of. But I also, um, like, you know, uh, um, 
I, I, that, that didn't answer anything. But no, but it was a lovely. <laughs> I, lo- I love your answer. Yeah, yeah. So, but is this piece uh, similar to other work you've done, or did the, did you reach into a whole new, different realm for this? Well, you could play the other excerpt and be the judge. All right, well, let's hear it. <laughs> Way to plug your excerpts. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and what was that? That was for orchestra and... and it's called Nymph- Nymphorum. It's a cantata for a voice and orchestra. If anyone wants to play it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, who, who was Jen- it? Jennifer Zetlin singing. It's... Uh, what orchestra? Jeff Malarski with Juilliard, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're all right. They're good, yeah. <laughs> so, so you went to Juilliard? I did. You did? Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Am I to read into that? <laughs> no. No. Right. No. Yeah, who'd you stay with? At Juilliard? Yeah. Um, uh, Sam Adler. Oh, really? I love that guy, yeah. Wow. He's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of the, the orchestra man. Yeah, you're right there. He wrote that book. He wrote that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's an, ama- he's an amazing, amazing, amazing guy. So um, we, usually off, we usually start our show by asking what have people seen recently. Right. So... You, have you seen anything recently? The most recent thing that I saw was a production of Elixir of Love um, upstate in Cambridge, New York. Um, and it was a it was set in like a nightclub. So the some of the audience members were like sitting at tables um, and drinking wine and eating food or whatever and then the storyline went around on around them. And Who so, was like, the company? Uh, Hubbard Hall produced it. Yeah. It was actually originally, but it was originally produced by Resonance Works Pittsburgh, which is Maria Sensi Selner's company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and Andrew Adelsberg, is that his name? Yes. That's terrible. It was the director. Um, 
and it was very it was very fun it was very you know the audience loved it and it was hilarious and so yeah it was really fun um cast was really good it's a really funny opera it's you great know music. It, yeah it's great music and the audience was you know they ate it up so it was great and have you seen, or have you been so immersed in this work? Have you seen any? No, I've seen some stuff. Well, I saw Alcina at Santa Fe. Yeah, uh, and? yeah, yeah. I, I liked I it. I love that. And, opera. And the opera is just so juicy. Oh my god! And the, it was just like cast to utter perfection. And I saw Sleep No More two nights ago, which oh, I really? hated. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> was complete oh trash. God, it's so yeah. funny. I've had. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's okay. Everyone's yeah, yeah, right. it's like a reference point for all this stuff, you know. Right. Like immersive people are always theater. immersed in theater. And it's, like, it's the theater. cheesiest. Oh my god! So oh, the like, that was the, that's the Macbeth thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. more like I, also, sleep I saw a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the thing like four sleep. years ago. I, yeah. I was totally lost on yeah. me. I didn't get it at all. Oh, that's so funny. Everyone, yeah. I haven't seen it, and I. Yeah, I sort of feel like I wouldn't like it, but I don't know. Maybe you might like it. It's weird. Yeah, I mean. I like weird, but I don't know. <laughs> well, the people that I know who do immersive theater in general don't like it. But people who don't really... Well, it's not nearly that weird. <laughs> oh, well, maybe yeah. that's the issue. Is yeah, that yeah. like if you already are used to the sort of immersive experience, yeah, yes, if you're it's immersed not really in interesting. Theater, but if, you're, if you've never had an, an immersive experience, it's a totally new that's thing. Like, and is it immersive? I don't know. What does that even mean, immersive theater? It means you're in the middle of it? I don't, what does that mean? You're immersed. Um, I guess uh, it's, it, it, it becomes, it's like not watching something on a movie. Right, it's and not like the sitting. fourth wall no, okay. kind of experience. Like that you're, you're actually in it. it, you're inside it, you theoretically could possibly interact with the people. Yeah. Um, I, well, guess, I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's yeah, what you guys no, are definitely doing. definitely are. I guess. I don't, well, uh, no, there are people, so. though, who definitely do not want that kind of experience, who are like, all right, mm -hmm. you right. do your thing, <laughs> and I will sit here and absorb it. Um, and I have friends who really do, do not like, I mean, I have to go on my own. Because, oh, because Mark know. doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, but I, like, I love the immersive, immersive experience. Like, I saw that the thing the Lincoln Center festival thing that where they brought the the human requiem the Brahms requiem that they oh, did with the yeah. where like basically the chorus was like all around you and as an audience member you were just sort of oh, like man. in I the could see that being cool it yeah. was amazing and that piece is that piece is amazing but like it was a really like it was a really sort of exceptional experience so yeah I just saw um a primer for a failed superpower did you hear about this? No. It was this group called The Team, and they're working with... It was basically an evening of protest songs. Oh, cool. And interspersed with documentary footage of people involved in various movements. And they had... Hmm. And they were also in the room, and they sang these songs, and then they had composers writing counterpoint to work, weave through it. And the audience stood, and it all happened around them. Um, it was really intense. Where was this? <clears throat> this was up at Roulette. Is it over, still happening? Oh, cool. It was cool. two nights in I love that two nights at Roulette. It was yeah. well the first night apparently the AC didn't work and it was oh. 106 degrees in the room. And the New York Times uh, critic mentioned that it was awfully hot, but they still went for it. We were there, I was there in the air conditioning night. <laughs> um, but it was really it, what I guess what I learned from it is you know, they had kids involved and these were, you know, there's a trans kid and and there were uh, all sorts of kids in various interesting uh, 
uh, involved with different movements and the the level of proficiency of the performers varied greatly and it didn't matter the the technical stuff didn't matter and this is what i'd like to tell to every director there it's when it comes from the heart and when someone really believes passionately and these performers believe very passionately it hits you it just hits you in a live performance mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if there are any technical faults i didn't even really you know there's only one moment where i was sort of taken out of the story by it but that was because the singer was obviously a trained singer and it made me think about it but the the passion that these people sang these songs and the way they staged it where you were sort of had to confront it and it was happening literally right next to you it was so moving you know it was so moving um so for me i think that's the most important thing is that if you're creating work that connects with something real emotionally or something that the performers really care deeply about it can be electric and it doesn't matter what the piece mm. is. I mean, and I don't want to see a production of Torondo where people are just performing it. You may perform it beautifully, but if it's not connected to their passion in some way, oh, yeah. it's, not, it's well, no fun to, to watch. It's no fun to watch. It's no fun to watch at also, all. Also, music is just so much better when you just sing it like it's music, I think. Uh -huh. I'm really like, I just also was in Santa Fe and I saw uh, Alcina and then I saw Lucia the next night. And then I saw the Steve Jobs Oh, opera. did you see that? And I really dug the Steve Jobs opera because they just played it like it was music. And after two nights of hearing these very stylistic performances, it was just so nice to hear just people just like singing and an orchestra just like playing. And it was so nice. And I'm doing this cool project this fall, this uh, Gertrude Stein, Virgil Thompson opera, The Mother of Us All, which is this great mythic 19th century American social justice piece that... Uh, uh, has been one of my favorite operas for a really long time. And um, where I live in Hudson, New York, this, there's the historic Hudson Opera House, which has inside of it New York State's oldest theater, where Susan B. Anthony spoke twice, once about abolition and once about women's suffrage. So I, when I moved to town, I said to them, do you know there's this opera and Susan B. Anthony's like the central character, the mother of us all, we should do it someday. And so now three years later, they got a grant for commemorations of the centenary of women's suffrage in New York State to put this opera on in this amazing historic site. And so when we got the grant, I was like, damn, but how are we actually going to pull this thing off now? Because there's a <laughs> cast of 30 characters. Yeah, it's a huge So what we did, <laughs> I found uh, a Susan B. who lives really close to my town, Michaela Martins, the great mezzo-soprano. And so as soon as we had that person in place, then it was like, wow, why don't we just do open calls and just cast people who live in the area? And the people that I responded to most who showed up were not necessarily the, the people who are like the trained, the trained singers, but I was so moved by the amount of people who just enjoy singing and who enjoy just like make, you know, making yeah. noise. And so I, you know, was, was able to cast the whole show with people who live up yeah. there. And it's, I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to encounter because everyone is so, is going to sound completely different. But I think for a piece like that, just like with the piece that you were talking about, sometimes it's really refreshing to just have these kind of different vocal styles and different types of people who are just sort of enjoying making music together. Because ultimately, that's that's what's so cool yeah. about opera is encountering people who just love to sing. Yeah. So let's just let the audience know that's an opera by Virgil Thompson with a book based uh, by, by Gertrude Stein, so that it's... Uh, 
if there are any other credits there that we should give the Hudson Opera House, we should give a shout out to Gary Shiro, who has saved that place, saved that place, and who is actually retiring in a year or so, but who has worked for years along with an incredible board and very supportive community to fix that place up, get the roof fixed, get in you know handicap acceptable accessible. Um, I guess it's an elevator or something. Yeah, there's an elevator. Yeah, uh, because of the stairs to get up to that upper room is very Start. steep. But um, <laughs> but it's a it's amazing what they've done up there. And now it's only been a couple of years that they've been. No, they just reopened in yeah. March. Yeah, yeah. So this is you know one of the first big things that they're doing there. So after you come see the Wake World in Opera <laughs> Philadelphia, which is what we're really here to talk about, come to Hudson. It's just two hours north, and see the Mother of Us All in yes. November. What are the dates? It's the eleventh, twelfth. 15th, 18th, 19th, and all shows are at 4 p.m., so you can make it an easy day trip up uh, there. Okay, like weekends mostly. Yeah, it's, it's two weekends and a, and a Wednesday in between. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, I got to see both parts of Angels in America, the National Theater um, production by Marianne Elliott. Oh, cool. And, I mean, it's the third time I've seen the whole piece and it's it's stunning it just constantly stuns you cracks you up moves you um i think they're hoping to bring it here which we really need it here now as an indictment of what's going on but uh it was it was just truly and it they use that stage the national theater stage is just like radio city music hall that big set pieces just like come from the ceiling come (laughs) from underneath and, and it's it's a stunning example of uh, theater craft in service of this miracle. Uh, I mean, of of a play. And just for those listeners, that is that's Chuck in the booth, who we never announced at the beginning. I didn't <laughs> Sorry. mean to ignore you, Chuck. Sorry, Chuck. It's so important. I can't even see you. It's always forgotten. It's like a Definitely. Well, we're really glad to have you guys on on the show, and we're. we're supposed, aren't we supposed to talk about what's coming up? Uh, or are we doing that later? Oh, that we want to see. Sure, we can talk about things we want to see. I know what I want to see. What do you want? I to want see? to see Exterminating Angel. Oh yeah, oh, totally. I'm yeah. really excited to see that because uh, someone I know, Audrey Luna, is is in that. Uh, she was also in The Tempest, and she sings that mm. crazy, crazy high, high, high. Cool. Freakish stuff, yeah. Well, yeah, Thomas Addis likes to write at the extremes, like voices extremely high, extremely low, orchestra going to the absolute, you know, mm-hmm. far ends. And her voice is so perfectly suited yeah. to be this inhuman, crazy, out there uh, thing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. What are you looking forward to? I'm going to see Fanchula. Are you? City Opera. City Opera. Mostly because I am a huge fan of John Burton, who is oh. singing the tenor. Uh, Dick Johnson. I can't say that on the radio. No, you just did. <laughs> uh, so that t- Dick Johnson is b- being played by John Burton, who I know him personally. So you know, he's. I did a show with him a couple of years ago, but he is just a spectacular singer, and so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm definitely going. I know I'm going to see Elizabeth Cree. I'm going to try to see. You've got to come see our show. Yeah, uh, I want to. <laughs> but if it's sold out, I'll do what I can. I actually know somebody. We'll sneak works. you in. Okay, excellent. Yeah. I know somebody who. What's works one more person? <laughs> yeah, sneak us in. In we'll an go. immersive right. performance. In yeah, an right. immersive theater performance. Um, so I'm so definitely coming to Philly. Um, so and that's all I have planned at the moment. 
And do you have anything in the future that you're looking to see? RB's mother of us all. Well, of course. <laughs> Number one. Of course. <laughs> yeah. of course. Actually, I'm going to see the Sweeney Todd, the one that's downtown. I heard it was great. Yeah, I heard it's amazing. It's one of my favorite operas. Are you going to see the... Or did you say that to be controversial? No. <laughs> I'm just trying to prove my point. <laughs> About, it is an opera. It is. Um, do, are you going to buy one of the like table of seats? Of course, and I'm going to eat the whatever meat pie they put in front of me. Right. They yes. also have a vegetarian version. I'm Yum. certainly eating the meat pie. <laughs> I'm very excited. I mean, it would be not. Come on, eating it would make no sense to eat. The, even if I was a vegetarian, you have to go to Sweeney Todd and, and eat, eat the, the meat, meat pie. pie. It's sort of the point. Yeah. You know that hair salon I grew up going to is called Sweeney Todd's. Oh, that's um, creepy. In Rutland, Vermont. That's cool. That's kind of hip for... <laughs> right, for yeah, Rutland, Vermont. Vermont. That's weird. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Sweeney Todd. That is disturbing. <laughs> they had a big show poster in the back where they would wash your hair. Yeah. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Are you going to say anything? Oh, I, well, I'm doing these three shows in a row. I'm doing Wake World and then Paleos and then The Mother of Us All. Oh, wait, where, where are you doing, doing Paleos? At Curtis. Oh, cool. Curtis I am Institute. so jealous. Come I see that. love that show. No, it's amazing. It's like okay. I couldn't ask for a better season. Oh but my God. so I think by December I'm just going to be a dead person. But I am I just was um I know that uh Justin Vivian Bond and Matt Ray are oh. doing a Christmas show in December. Wow. So I that actually I'll be looking forward to because Viv always does the coolest shows at Joe's Pub. And you know the the WC the is so difficult. Like what are you going to do? <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know. I can't articulate. Elias is a, really an interesting nut to crack. Or, yeah. Do you have, do, I don't, I don't much, think it is. People keep saying that to me. All right. Well, maybe I'm a liar. So <laughs> tell me. To, I No, but I can't you? really tell you how I'm doing it. Um, I don't know. I think these things are always just, if you make them about the performers who are doing them, that sort of answers all the questions. Okay. So. But is there a frame that you're putting it in? Um, a century or a time period? Or? No. It's sort of. It's not any of those things. Yeah, I it's feel like it's outside detail. of all it's of those embracing, things. It's embracing <laughs> the total yeah. mystery and weirdness of the text. And um, yeah, it's another one of these things where there's aren't, there aren't really any seats. And so it's asking the audience to, it's more, I guess the, what I'm really trying to say is that the, I'm, my work is more interested in sort of audiences than these kind of like things that you think you need to do, like deciding huh. really specific times and so places. You're doing so. three yeah. pieces in a row that are almost nonlinear. I mean, the, the, yeah, That's and also the mother of us all isn't really going to have seats Linear, either. Yeah. So it's like it's more of this kind of one sort of continual question, which is like, what does it mean? Really, it's like, what does it mean for an audience to watch an opera in 2017? Is sort of what I'm trying to figure out. And like, uh, you know, because what you were saying earlier about like TV channels, like, you know, there are so many things that you, there's so many reasons to stay in bed with one of these creatures. Um, he picked up right. his iPhone. You know, so what I feel like. What I'm obsessed with is like, how do you offer people an experience they can't get there? Right. You want something that's like, I mean, you can sit at home and watch Game of Thrones or whatever yeah. other amazing television. And that there's nothing produce. wrong with that. And no, nothing no, 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 totally. nothing at all. This but you want something, something, something additional. Yeah. You yeah. want it to be more than that. And I guess yeah. like, I'm not really interested, you know, like if I want like great storytelling, I'll go watch like the Star Wars movies. I love those. I totally love them. Really? They take me on a journey. <laughs> They're fun. But like, I don't know. I want something, I want a different experience. Uh... I won't say in the theater because I'm not really interested in theaters per se, but 
you know, inter I want like intimate inter interpersonal experiences. And I love using opera as that medium because as David says, it's just so juicy and all consuming and, you know, and primal, primal, I yeah. think you know, it activates like... something deep in your gut yeah. to be around these other people making these noises yeah. and yeah. Well, there's nothing like standing on. next to a singer, like standing right close to a yeah, singer and being like, oh, that's what being that's vibrated like. vibrated by <laughs> Right, him. exactly. Yeah. You can feel it in their bones, there's right? Better. And only, usually only singers get to do that. And so it's nice to, yeah. All right. So this has been great. We're going we're gonna to do one fast thing around if anyone has anything last to say. I do want to give a shout out to all those people in Texas and in Houston who are dealing with... Amen this massive storm yeah. uh, that's totally normal, has nothing to do with global warming, I'm sure. No, uh, climate no, change isn't yeah, real. It isn't real. <laughs> this, the water's 50 inches of rain isn't real. No. But uh, I do want to, you know, we, we are thinking about them and uh, pe encourage people to uh, donate to help and do everything they can because they're going to need a lot of help when this is done. Any, any other goodbye messages? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> it was my mom's birthday yesterday. So. Oh, Hi, Mom. Happy birthday, Karen. Happy Virgo <laughs> birthday. <laughs> it was not my mom's birthday. Oh, they don't have the same birthday? <laughs> no. I guess happy not. impending High Holy Days. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, for all yeah. of those. <laughs> Excuse me? I said for all of those. <laughs> for all of that those who celebrate. That was amazing. <laughs> for all of those. I feel like we should end with like a barbershop quartet. Or right, right, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's been great to have you guys yeah, on. Thank and you for thank being you. interested in what we're doing. Such a pleasure. And please check so out the Festival 017, which is starting in uh, two weeks. And oh, check out, you know, we've been oh. doing this opera fix weekly now. So let us know. Email us with comments uh, at comments at indieopera.com. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Oh, and go to our Patreon page and, and support us. Yes. How's that? It would be if we could get a couple more supporters, we wouldn't have to worry so much at night. <laughs> After you see the wake world, you'll be doing okay. a lot of work. <laughs> Thank Regardless. you so much, guys. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Bye. Bye. If you like this show, find us on iTunes and subscribe. That way our show will be automatically downloaded to your smartphone or other media device. And please rate our show in iTunes. It's a free way to show your support. This episode of the Indie Opera Podcast was recorded at the National Opera Center and is produced by Peter Zepp with co-host Brooke Larimer and with special guests David Hertzberg and R.B. Schlaughter. Our show is created with the support of Chuck Sachs, associate producer, Ross Crean, who created our theme music, Sharon Apostolou on social media, and recording engineer John Lynn. This episode was edited by Peter Zepp. Thank you for listening. Thank you.